Well, this morning we're looking at one of the parables of Jesus as part of our Gospel Foundation series. And as Chris said, we're looking at the parable of the shrewd, or sometimes called the dishonest or deceitful manager. And many often find this one a little bit difficult to interpret uh, as a parable, how they're supposed to apply it to their lives. But in actuality, it's actually fairly simple and straightforward. But the problem is that it's a little bit unorthodox. It's unorthodox in the sense that normally in Jesus' parable, there's a very obvious protagonist, somebody that we are supposed to uh, pattern ourselves after or follow or learn from. Whereas in this parable, um, everyone's just a little bit shady. And it's kind of hard to know what you're supposed to be following. But the key is to be looking at the principle that Jesus is trying to teach here. What is the larger principle that he's trying to teach, which we primarily understand from the commentary that he gives us after he finishes the parable, and he communicates some ideas that are foundation, foundational to the gospel, I think, and how we are to live in light of the gospel. And so let's read it together in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtor one by one, he says to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now that's the end of the parable. And then we begin Jesus' commentary on it. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest with a very little will also be dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's the end of Jesus' commentary on this. And so we have this parable where this, the manager of the master's resources finds a, a dishonest way to manipulate these things that he has stewardship over that are not his, they're the master's, to secure a future for himself. So when he loses his job, there's people that will owe him and will welcome him into their homes. And the master, even though he's getting ripped off, is kind of impressed. He says, well, that, that was pretty shrewd. That was pretty shrewd. And so the question that we're kind of left with after we read this parable is, is Jesus then commend, commending us to be dishonest with the resources that we have stewardship over and to be shrewd like those in the the world in our dealings in order to gain betterment for ourselves, which is not what he's teaching. What he's teaching is this basic, basic principle 
that he repeats often. And that's this. Use the temporary things of this age to invest in the eternal things of the age to come. Use the temporary things that you have stewardship over in this age to invest in the things that are eternal of the age to come. Which is easier said than done, right? Because we're bombarded with the things of this world and this age and greed for it. But there's three essential ideas that Jesus gives us in his commentary that I want to highlight that I think are key to our understanding of how to do that. There's three things that he says. He says, know what you have, know where you're going, and know whose you are. Know what you have, know where you're going, and know whose you are. What do we have? He says what we have is unrighteous wealth. Which means what? It simply means it's worldly. It means it's temporal. It's of this age. It's unrighteous wealth. And he says that it's not ours. He says it is another's. Just like in the parable, we are the stewards of that which is another's. Scriptures say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that we have, we are simply stewards of that which is his, the master. So it's worldly, it's unrighteous, it's of this age, it's not ours. I think we all know that, but we need to be constantly reminded of it. But then he also says that it will fail. He doesn't say if it's going to fail, he says when it fails you. When it fails you. And we all know, study after study shows us that once you have met your, your basic needs within your society, there's no correlation between happiness and wealth once you have enough to get by. We know that it, it doesn't satisfy. We all think it does, right? But we all know that it doesn't, that it will fail us. We also know if we haven't learned from crisis after crisis and war after war, that everything we, can ha we have can be gone like that. And of course, ultimately, naked we come into the world and naked we go. It will fail us eventually at the end of our lives. Jesus says in Luke 12, 32 through 34, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. The treasures in the heaven that won't fail. Jesus is comparing these two things, building on this teaching with his disciples, what will not fail and what will fail. So what we have is unrighteous wealth. It's not ours that will fail. And that is a tool. He says, make friends by means of. Use it. Use this unrighteous wealth to make friends who will welcome you in eternity. So he's giving us this tool in our lives to invest in the things like Dan was talking about last week. But the things that he's given us to do, he's given this as a tool for us to in invest in the things that he's called us into. Whether it's serving the needy or taking the gospel or showing hospitality. Whatever it is that we have to be able to meet the ends of what God has called us unto an eternal reward in the age to come. So it's a tool that he's given us. And these things that it's, it's unrighteous and not ours and it'll fail and it's just a tool that we have to use should give us constantly perspective and humility. Because we so, we so value being self-made, don't we? And, and doing it ourselves. And we so often forget that nothing we have is ours and that we drew breath this morning solely by his good pleasure. 
It will fail us. It's worldly. That's what we have. So know what you have. Know where you're going. Where are we going? He says eternal dwellings. Friends that we can gain for ourselves, eternal dwellings, that should be our focus. Not focusing on that which will fail, but focusing on that which will never fail us. And it's this central teaching throughout the entire New Testament that we're given as a, as a motivation for life. Half, more than half of Jesus' parables are about this. When he, when he comes back after his resurrection, in, in Acts chapter 1, we see he's talking with the disciples, and for 40 days, what does he talk to them about? It says, the kingdom. He talks to them about the kingdom. It was so important to Jesus, and that they understood it. And the, in Hebrews chapter 11, all of the, the heroes of the faith that we we, we know and we love, and it says, what were they motivated by? Why did they keep going through all the challenges? Because they were looking for the city that was to come, whose builder and maker is God. The eternal dwellings are what motivated them. That's why some of my favorite passages in, in Scripture are Revelation 21 that we just have to keep before us. No more tears. No more dying. Or Ezekiel chapter 47. One of my favorite passages in, in, in scripture that describes this age that is to come where the salt waters turn turn fresh and the rivers are teeming with life and there's trees growing along the rivers bearing fruit month after month after month it's these things that were given to motivate us in this hope of what is to come and we need to talk about these things and and study these things and encourage these things that's why it's one of our core values living for the age to come it's a central motivation throughout the new testament for us to live our lives righteously to have the correct perspective on these things that we have in this age and how we're to use them and it sets us free from jealousy when we keep this our focus it's okay i don't care how everybody else is using their stuff or what they have or where they're going because i know where i'm going I know what I want, and it's not of this age. And so I'm going to use this thing that we have in order to gain that which I can never lose and will never fail me. So you have to know what you have. You have to know where you're going. And lastly, you have to know whose you are. There's a famous story amongst uh, American Indians. They think it started with the Cherokee Indians. Perhaps you've heard it before, the story of the two wolves story of the two wolves where the grandson, grandfather sitting with his grandson and he says grandson there's two wolves inside of me one of them's full of anger and fear and hate and the other one is full of love and peace and joy and they're at war they're fighting with each other and grandson you have those two wolves inside of you too and the grandson looks to his grandfather and says which one will win grandfather which one will win his grandfather says whichever one you feed Whichever one you feed is the one that will win. And Jesus, at the end of this passage, says there are two powers that are at war that want to rule us. He, used the, he uses this really rare word that we translate as, as money, but he doesn't use the normal word for riches or wealth. He uses the word mammonus. The word mammonus is a rarely used term that speaks of an evil personification, a power that is behind wealth and riches. And while our, our translation is technically correct that we have here, it loses some of the intended meaning. We don't have time to tear it apart because I'm supposed to keep this short this morning. But the context and the language tells us that Jesus is not talking about our power to serve two masters. He's not talking about, it's not a time management problem. 
that we're not able to serve both of them. That is not his point. His point is that it is impossible. He's talking about their dominance over us. One will dominate you and make it impossible for you to serve the other. He's saying that Mammon, this unrighteous wealth, will enslave you. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 4, 8 through 9, where it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are nature, by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary, elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to become once more? And so this passage asks us, which wolf are you going to feed? Jesus says, it's going to be one or the other that's going to win. It's going to be me, or it's going to be Mamonis. It's going to be the power of the age of wealth. And so it brings us kind of full circle. Which one are we going to feed? Are we going to constantly be reminding ourselves and humbling ourselves, reminding ourselves that what we have is this temporary failing thing that can be gone in a minute that we don't even own? Are we going to be reminding ourselves about the age that is to come and the things that are truly eternal that we can use as a, as a tool, these things, in order to gain for ourselves and to keep us humble before God? Which wolf are we going to feed? We have to know what we have. We have to know where we're going. And we have to know whose we are if we're going to live rightly in this age. I'm going to invite the... Uh, worship band to come up as we conclude as we conclude the thing that I want you to take away I think and think about is you know when we talk about this issue of uh, resources when we talk about money I maybe you don't find it this way but I, I find when we when we enter into these conversations what ends up being the, the focus is how much should I have how much should I have or how much should I not have is my house too big do I have too much stuff uh, am I giving enough away? We want to we walk away with some kind of ratio or formula, <laughs> which doesn't exist in the scriptures. We're given principles of generosity and contentment. We're not given a formula. And so it's not a productive conversation, I don't think. It's not bad, but it's not a productive conversation. I think the better question is the one that we we're asked today by this parable. The question is, how can I use what I do have? How am I using what I do have to invest the perishable into the imperishable. And if we ask that, then the former will never be a problem <laughs> of having too much or too little and focusing on that. How, what am I doing with what I do have? And what I'm doing, am I feeding this, this good wolf so I don't become enslaved again to the thing that I was set free from? As Paul says, you want to become slaves again to that? You were set free from that. And so, do we know what we have? Do we know where we're going? Do we know whose we are? These things are foundational to the good news of the life that we've been set free to live and to live it rightly. So let's just pray and then we're going to uh, close with a song this morning. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I thank you that you set these things before us in simplicity. And this morning, I, I, I ask 
that you would make it real to our hearts. That you would make it a living, a living understanding, Lord. These things that we've been talking about, Lord. The, these possessions that we have and, and where we're going, Lord. I pray that you would ignite our hearts, Lord, with a passion for the things that you want us to be motivated by and excited about, Lord, for what you're doing and in the kingdom that you're bringing here to the earth, Lord. Lord, I pray that it would just become life to us again and living understanding, Lord, not just ideas, not just the concepts we've memorized, Lord, but something that really burns within our hearts, Lord, that motivates us to break free of the spirit of this age and live the life that you have called us to live and that you have purchased us for by your blood. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to, feel free to stand as we close.